Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philacrosophy Podcast, in-season edition, with my good friend Andy Towers, head coach of the PLL Chaos. AT, how you doing, man? I'm above average today. Are you good? You're usually yeah. above average, it seems. Yeah, I'm above average unless I shit my pants, Jamie. <laughs> then I'm just below average. <laughs> good. Uh, how was the weekend? Did you get to watch a lot of games? Uh, I did. I watched a lot of them. We also opened up with our uh, our sixth grade team this weekend. So we uh, those games were they cut into my lacrosse games a little bit, but I did I did watch a bunch of the games. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com. All right, well, let's kick it off, man. Um, I want to kick it off. It's so good to see Sunday night lacrosse going on, and I just want to start with that game because the Penn State-Maryland game was was um, such a, 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 an interesting game of runs, for one thing. I mean, Penn State jumps out to an 8-1 to lead, and then they don't score again for 16 minutes or something. Um, let, let's Maryland back in it, and then, and then Penn State gets their offense cranked up again. So uh, thoughts on that one? I was just really impressed with Penn State. I thought Maryland – I know the Las Vegas Lions guy had it at Maryland minus one, and I would have gone heavy on Maryland uh, with anybody, and I would have been really wrong. It just – Penn State looks so unbelievably good. You know, it seemed like they knew exactly where the slides were coming from, and it seemed like there weren't really strong secondary slides out of Maryland. It seemed like a lot of, you know, dodge, carry, slide, pass, score. And it, I was just really impressed with Penn State to put forth that kind of offensive effort with a obvious less than 100% Grant Amen for him to go 0 and 2 and then and and then and for them to put in 13 goals against Maryland's defense makes you makes Penn State way scarier than we already thought they were. I do my top 20 ranking every week, and I had uh, Virginia at the top this week, and I had Penn State at three, and I know I caught some shit for that in, in the Twitter world, and understandably so. I, I think Penn State's the best team, but in terms of their actual body of work over the course of the season, um, you know, you're looking at a team that, uh, while beating Maryland and playing really, really well, you know, they still only have three top 20 lean wins based on last week's poll. And that was over Cornell, Penn, um, you know, and now Maryland. And with a loss to Yale. I, I think they're the best team, but with only three top 20 wins 
and playing four teams, their body of work isn't as good as, as you know, either Virginia's or Duke, who both have more top 20 wins than Penn State has games played against the top 20. Now that's going to obviously change as Penn State goes through the Big Ten regular season play. Um, but I was unbelievably impressed with Penn State. And I have to say, I was, I was uh, not equally impressed, but still impressed with Maryland as well to come back in the, in the manner that they did when for all intents and purposes, they could have packed it in and, and, and you know, gone home. They didn't do that at all. They came back and they, they put a serious scare. I thought, I thought Maryland was going to win the game in the end. You know, when they came back, got it, got it close to one goal. I thought they could get over the hump, but Gerard Arcieri and Penn State's offense were just too efficient to allow that to happen. Credit Jeff Tambroni, his staff, and players uh, on Penn State for getting what I think is the first win ever in program history over the Terps. That's what we keep hearing. Yeah, huge. I, I love what Penn State does on offense. I did a webinar on it actually like a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the way that they basically create a, a, a two-man or mirror situation on one side and then the way they get an, the backside exchange with their creased backside wing um, or turn that into a three-man cut, it, it, the stuff that you know I, I was showing on this webinar all happened right in front of us. And they scored off of all these actions, plus they're great with the big little behind the net. I really think that the, the scare of Amit being hurt took the wind out of their sails a little bit. Um, and, and, and they, they, he clearly like wasn't going as hard, but Amit in that game at one point on that play that he got injured, he ran his man around as well as anybody can like change direction and make a guy, you know, jump over the net and get hung up and all that. So, I mean, I thought Amen actually like, even he was banged up, even though I know he was banged up, he was moving pretty well at one point. It's just great. I, and, I, and I'm with you, and I'll ask you a question here in a second, but I just am going to add on to that. It's great for the rest of the Penn State players to be able to see that they can still beat the best teams in the country with their star not necessarily putting up a, statistical, um, a statistically huge day. Yeah. It's also great to see the leadership of Grant Amen who was clearly hurt to come out and give it a go, get hurt and then come back again, not have a huge statistical day, but show his teammates that he's on board, willing to go to war with them, not feeling his best. And this is just a, this was a really, really important win for Penn State, an important data point to get for Penn State the players, I think, more so than the coaches. I know the coaches believe, but the players, for them, for, for a team, a program that's never won a playoff game, I believe that's correct, to go and win the way that they did against an opponent like Maryland, I think this is the shot in the arm and the data point that they need to really feel like they can win the national championship and believe it. Yeah, and I think they can. So the question I would put back to you, Jamie, on this is uh, – having the appreciation and the inside know-how of the way Penn State's offense works, how would you defend them? Well, I think it's important to get the matchups on the people that you want. Um, and um, I think I would, I, I think I would try not to slide. I think that they're better off, you know, 
when you start sliding, they start banging the ball. I think I would try to, I would try to find the right matchups and really try to not slide off that mirror. Shut. I'd try to crowd off the mirror to give my shorty the opportunity to, um, you know, defend that guy and, and maybe be able to slow him down a little bit. Um, and I try not to slide out of the, you know, off the, off the backside crease where they're getting that cut in the exchange that leaves guys wide open in front. And, you know, but Penn state, you know, that, that is kind of what Maryland did at times. And Penn state was able to dodge and slash their way right to the net. So um, I, I, I really believe that you got to try not to let yourself get hung up by aim it too much and just go back there if you have to, before the ball gets there and then try not to slide, try to show off the mirrors and not slide too much. I think that's yeah. going to be the way. You I, I think the problem is I don't think there's a defenseman that can cover Grant Amon in the country. I don't. I, I would have thought that Chris Fake was that guy that would be able to do it. Um, and he clearly was not the guy. He got destroyed. I, I think he's arguably the best cover guy in the country. Uh, you look at two other defenders in Cade Van Raphorst, and JT Giles Harris, I don't think Raphorst, I know he doesn't have the quickness to stay with JT Giles Harris. I think when he shut down Pat Spencer, I think Pat Spencer sort of tried to back in and, and tried to be physical with Cade Van Raphorst, and I think that's Cade Van Raphorst's game. I think the one defenseman that has the greatest chance of being able to cover Grant Amen and minimize the amount of times that you have to slide to him is JT Giles Harris. I think he's... He's probably the best cover guy in the country, I think. Um, and I, and I, Syracuse kid. Um, what's the close defender at Syracuse? Lockdown Mel, kid. What? No. Yeah. He might. He might be a good matchup. He might. He might. You know, I, you know what I'd like to see is I'd like to see Johnny Serdic from Army cover. Well, I did see that, and he did yeah. a great job on him in the preseason. I went to that Army Penn that State would be a matchup, and he. He really, he really bottled him up surprisingly well. Amazing. I think he's the, he might be the best, best. I think he's, he might be the best defenseman in the country. Yeah, he might be. Yeah. All right. Well, huge win for Rutgers, you know, starting off in uh, big 10 play one and oh with a 14, six win versus Ohio state. Uh, you know, Rutgers needed this win so badly. Everyone was talking about, you know, this is, this is going to be a year for them, and they've been so close. And then they really didn't have a great start for a number of reasons. But this win was significant. Uh, what did that do for your rankings, and what are your thoughts on this one? Well, it tipped my rankings upside down. Um, you know, I had not been a proponent of Ohio State's body of work in my top 20 poll. Um, I struggled to get them up above, you know, 11 or 12 one week I may have had them up at seven during the first seven games of the season they were seven and oh and then sure enough they go and they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame and that along with a win over UMass earlier in the year when UMass was ranked uh you know I think they were ranked 20th that week you know I I mistakenly ranked Ohio State at about 10 I should have had them I think closer up to four but they just got destroyed by Rutgers. And this was a huge W for Rutgers, one that they desperately needed. You know, Kieran Mullins, who, you know, comes into this game, goes four and four. Sherilyn Beatty's three and oh. But the story of the game is clearly Max Edelman, 17 saves, six goals allowed against a very, very efficient Ohio State offense with a great faceoff group. It just seemed like Rutgers played harder. 
you know, and definitely played smarter and were more efficient and played fearlessly. And in the end, that allowed them to slam a team that I think we all felt was sort of a top four team, but they had played a soft schedule. So yeah. Ohio State will bounce back. We know they're, you know, a very well coached team, but I'm really happy for Brian Brecht, uh, Eric Saramet, and these guys. Now they're relevant, very, very relevant. And this is a wake up call to the whole Big Ten. Um, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what Rutgers can do to follow this up with going to Johns Hopkins this weekend and then Maryland at home and then Michigan and then at Penn State. So they, you know, it doesn't get any easier for them. You know, they really, really need to win at Hopkins this weekend. And if they can get to seven and four and have a win over Ohio State and a win over Hopkins, um, unfortunately, their win over Princeton isn't doing much for them because Princeton isn't doing well. Um, but this definitely puts them in a great position to make the Big Ten tournament. Um, and I think they will. And, you know, it's like, you know, there's, it's been sort of historically Michigan's the distant sixth. Uh, we know they're getting better, but they probably still are the distant sixth right now. Yep. Um, but, you know, and it's hard to imagine Maryland and Penn State aren't going to be in that tournament. So now you've got three teams for two spots. Um, and uh, this, this game, Rutgers at Hopkins. Or Ruck, is it at Hopkins? I think it is. At Hopkins, yes. Rutgers at Hopkins is, is in many ways going to determine who gets that spot. Again, for, the third, for like the third year in a row. Like yeah. almost like the fifth game in a row, really. <laughs> Between the regular season games and the Big Ten playoff games, you know, here it comes again. This is pretty much, you know, a play-in game for the Big Ten tournament, Hopkins-Rutgers. All right, so how about the, the beatdown Notre Dame put on Syracuse out of the gate in that game? I know Syracuse, you know, battled back, but, you know, Notre Dame looked pretty good. Did you watch this game? I watched the whole game. Unbelievable. Um, I just couldn't get over it. You know, between this game, Notre Dame and Syracuse, and Penn State, Maryland, each game I was so fired up for, each game started out as a blowout and then a sick comeback, and then – the team that was winning early was able to find a way to regain the momentum and finish it off. Um, I picked Notre Dame in this game. It's just a really hard place to travel to and play out there. And, you know, I, I felt that Syracuse almost was going to get over the hump. And then their long stick Kennedy knocks Gleason in the head and gets a penalty. And that was kind of the, the turning point and the last change of momentum that Notre Dame needed to run away with the game, I was just really impressed with the way that they came back and won this game. Um, they needed it. It's a, it, was a, it was a huge game for Notre Dame to bounce back and win. Great to see Brian Costable, five goals from the midfield. Gleason, three and one. Jacobice, two and two. Notre Dame has, has got three really good wins. You know, you look at their win over Maryland, their win over Denver, and now their win over Syracuse. In terms of three really good wins, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, no bad losses. Richmond, Virginia, and Ohio State. We said before, as Notre Dame's offense continues to mature, Charles Leonard's success at the faceoff X, this is a team that's slowly moving up the polls. And with the youth maturing in April, it's a team that could 
be playing its best lacrosse in May. And if that's the case, combined with their coaching staff, could be a threat to win the national championship in a year where there seems like there's a, more contenders to actually win the whole thing than ever before. I totally agree. And, you know, you think about Notre Dame, if, they, if, they're, if they're lighting up the scoreboard and winning faceoffs, Trouble. It's trouble, no doubt. Huge win for the Tar Heels in a packed stadium. Beautiful day in Chapel Hill. Duke at Carolina. And Carolina really had their backs against the wall in a lot of ways. They didn't have a big win yet. They hadn't had a big win in a while. And um, and this, you know, the Duke-Carolina matchup is always a huge one in all all sports, and it didn't disappoint. Uh, Did you get a chance to check this one out? I did. I watched the first two and a half quarters, and then I had to go to the New Canaan sixth grade game versus Chappaqua. Um, and I'm just so pumped for Joe Bresch and Metsy and their staff and their players. Clearly they had been struggling. They had yet to have a top 20 win. And for them to get that top 20 win against Duke, their rival in Chapel Hill, in their new venue, when everybody was clearly picking Duke. Um, and when they played whatever it was, 10 freshmen, and, and kind of just made a complete overhaul of who was going to play on game day. You just know practice had, has got to be, had got to be a lot of fun for them yesterday on Monday for the coaches coming in, realizing that now they've got, you know, a complete roster fighting all in a realistic fight for playing time for the rest of the season. And, and all Carolina has to do is make the ACC tournament. That's and it. Duke is a major step forward for them in that, uh, that challenge. And now they got, I think, Carolina. I think they got Virginia at Virginia this week. Virginia is ripe after the amount of, what are they, won like five in a row, something like that. And Carolina – with a renewed belief in themselves after this win, I think Virginia better be on watch this weekend because Virginia doesn't have a great face-off group. I know LaSalle has stepped up and done a pretty good job for them recently, but I think Tucci and O'Connell and these guys are going to get the better of Virginia at the X. And if they can get the same kind of performance out of Kate and Johnson that they got this weekend, versus Duke. He doesn't need 21 saves, but if they can get that same sort of, you know, 62% plus save percentage in the goal and they win the faceoffs, they're going to be a threat to go into Charlottesville and win that game. Yeah, no doubt. And, and all they need is one, one more win and they'll make the ACC tournament, right? I'm pretty That's sure right. we'll get you in. Um, and to win this game and get this, uh, that monkey off your back of a big win is huge uh, to play better lacrosse, to play great defense. I mean, you know, and Duke, you know, Duke has been struggling a little bit to score goals, really, since, you know, the second half of the Syracuse game. Yeah, they have. They could not score, and they could not score against Carolina. Carolina did, uh, you know, had a really interesting game plan. Looked like they, they were mixing in zone and man in there, and I'm not sure that Duke really recognized exactly what they were in the whole time, which I think um, led them to play, kind of dodge against what, what really I think was more of a zone. I love I loved the fact that it seemed like there were more quick and slick players on the field for North Carolina. They seemed like they were attacking from different areas. They seemed less predictable. And with different personnel and more unpredictability, we were really seeing a team that, again, similar to Rutgers, 
seem to go out and play without a lot of fear, not really realizing the ramifications of a loss to Duke here. And for them to get a win over, you know, what many, what, what I would consider a top two team in the country, admittedly, they're not playing that well. John Donowski said, they're not, they're not playing very well, no. but still we're looking at a team with five top 20 wins on their resume. I mean, that's undeniable, right? They got wins over Denver, Loyola, Penn, Towson, and Richmond. And, you know, that body of work, only Virginia can say that they have five top 20 wins. And so for Carolina to get a W and be 1-0 in the ACC, going to 2-0 Virginia, boy, times have changed in the ACC from where they were four years ago, right? Well, four years ago, I think UNC won the national championship. But Virginia hadn't won an ACC game for two, three years in a row. And, and Carolina had struggled there for a little bit before they won the national championship. But now we're looking at Virginia and Carolina at the top of the ACC with 2-0 and 1-0 records and Notre Dame, Syracuse, and Duke all at 1-1, 1-2, and 0-2 respectively. Who would have thought that Duke going into the season would be 0-2 after their first two games in conference? Shocking, but true. Yeah, good stuff. Well, good luck to the Heels. Um, you know, real quick, a quick run through of the Patriot League. Loyola hammers Colgate. Holy Cross beats Navy. Huge win for Holy Cross. They're having a hell of a year. Army, awesome Army with a 15-13 win over Bucknell. Lehigh beats BU. Um, just give me a little uh, breakdown on your thoughts on the Patriot League, which is r ridiculously competitive. There's going to be teams left out of their tournament that are pretty good teams. Yeah, I was talking to my buddy Kevin Rich about it at the, uh, at the gym this morning. Um, First, Loyola, I, I think you're looking at, when you look at the Patriot League, you're really looking at, I think, two separate groupings, maybe three separate groupings is probably more uh, accurate. I think you've got Loyola, Lehigh, and Army as one group. I think you have BU, Navy, Holy Cross, Colgate, and Bucknell as the next group. And I think you've got Lafayette alone by themselves at the bottom. Um, you know, clearly Lehigh, Loyola, and Army are among the best teams in the country. And then you got five of these other teams, BU, Navy, Holy Cross, Colgate, and Bucknell, really fighting it out to see who's going to be the last three teams in the Patriot League tournament. Um, and, and if I'm looking at it, I don't like the direction that Navy's going. I don't like the direction that Colgate's going. Bucknell, I think, played their best game of the year this past weekend against Army and almost knocked them off. If I'm looking at the way that this league evolves over the next three weeks, Jamie, I'm going to start to say that I think that BU, Holy Cross, and Bucknell are the last three teams in the Patriot League uh, tournament with Lehigh and Loyola getting the two uh, buys in the first round. I can see Army coming out and playing uh, probably Holy Cross and I can see Bucknell and BU being next, seeing that Bucknell beat Holy Cross. But there's a lot of left, a lot of lacrosse left to play to figure out the way this is going to get sorted out down the end. Um, I will say that I'm extremely excited for Lehigh playing Loyola. I think it's going to be a great game. It is at Loyola, um, but with the way that Lehigh can face off with arguably, you know, a top five unit, if they're able to control the ball. They're going to be able to score goals against Loyola. I think that Lehigh don't. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Lehigh go in and upset Loyola this weekend. Under the strength of winning faceoffs 
and offensive efficiency against a team defensively that the jury is still out on. Right. Now, if Bailey Savio can, can compete at the X, and again, I've underestimated him a few times this year, and I've been wrong just as many times as I've underestimated him. Uh, you know, if, if he's able to compete at the X and they can go out and get 45%, I don't think that Lehigh is going to be able to stop Loyola either. You know, yeah. the two-headed monster of Kevin Lindley and Pat Spencer is arguably the nation's best. I'm sure Grant Ament and Mac O'Keefe would have something to say about that. But I looked at the stats at halftime, and, it, and I think I'm correct when I say that Pat Spencer was 2-7 and seven and Lindley was 7-2 and two going into halftime. Well, that was what they finished at. But at halftime, oh, half I think it was Pat Spencer two and seven. No way. And Lindley seven and two. I mean, that puts that Lindley could have been 14 and four <laughs> in the game. I'm feeling good about my preseason pick of Kevin Lindley as the nation's leading goal scorer going into week nine. We'll see if we can outduel Mac O'Keefe down the stretch here. But I think that Loyola has probably an easier road down the stretch than Penn State does. So I'm, I'm, I'm doubling down on Kevin Lindley being the nation's leading goal, scorer, leading goal scorer by the time the season ends. When is the uh, Loyola Army game? Uh, the Loyola Army game is... That's going to be an unbelievable that's gonna, matchup. That's, that's April 20th, right? That's yeah. gonna, at Army, and that's going to set up the matchup of the year in Johnny Serdick versus Pat Spencer. And I like Johnny Serdick to dominate that matchup. Unless Pat Spencer decides to dodge him with lateral quickness, explosiveness, and physicality. If he tries to slow dodge Johnny Serdick, Johnny Serdick may put him in the upper deck of Mikey Stadium. The thing about the slow dodge is that, you know, it's something that you do when, you're, when your speed quickness dodges and change of direction, change of speed, don't work, and, you're up, and you get up there, and then, okay, well, I'm going to post you up. But in the meantime, you know, use your speed and quickness to try to beat the guy, and if he can run with you, then you can get to the island, and then you can try to operate. And I think that the, the issue with Pat was that he was going to the slow dodge instead of initiating with his quickness and his, and his changes of speed and change of direction. Um, I think it's the combination that makes it special for him and anybody else. Even, even Grant Amen, when he doesn't beat you, he'll stick his body in and start shuffling his way in and just looking over your shoulder. But he's not going to, like, just initiate with a slow dodge. And I think that's no, – I, I think you're right. I mean, I think any fundamentally sound dodger is going to use lateral quickness, a vital, violent change of direction, a drastic increase in speed – to put their defender in a state of recovery. And I don't care if you're smaller in stature, you know, that element of physicality is critical to a direct path to the goal, uh, you know, to show that you're a goal scorer and it forces teams to slide. If they don't slide and you've got a path to the goal, you're going to score goals. And if they slide, you got offense. I just think that in this game, it's going to be a real challenge for Pat Spencer because I think, Almost every other matchup, you know, Van Raphorst was a little different, but I do think Pat Spencer's definitely banged up. There's just no question about it. Yeah. But Pat Spencer, arguably the best athlete in the country playing Division One lacrosse, I think he does run into the one guy uh, in Johnny Serdick who's actually bigger, just as fast, if not faster, and mean. This is going to be a challenge for him. Yeah. Well, it's time now for the Oxia Time Ivy League review. So uh, for those of you guys who listened to this before, you know that John Canaris, a Penn grad, 
who led Penn as a goaltender to the uh, NCAA uh, Final Four um, in 1988, he started this company called Oxia Time. He loves lacrosse and he loves actually uh, watches. So he, he, he basically got a buyout from his, from his uh, corporate job and started studying um, Swiss watches. And he's created his own watch. It's really, they're really sweet. Andy and I both have one. And we're just fired up that John Canaris reached out to us because these watches, they have a, uh, a, a, an Ivy League logo. Um, that is subtle, but awesome. You know, I picked for my brown, my little brown logo, I picked the, um, the shield. Andy picked the B with the ivy. Um, and uh, these watches are really sweet. They're, they're like Swiss watches. They're worth about five. They're like a $5,000 watch that you're going to get for under 1000 bucks. And, and, and I think, Andy, we're both pretty pumped to be able to share this with the world because these watches are awesome. Got any thoughts? Yeah, my, my thoughts are that it, you know, it gives you adult credibility, you know, not too indifferent to, you know, uh, adolescent, early teen, early, early 20s credibility when you would, you know, wear that jerry bead on a leather bracelet a la Tom Gamino. <laughs> you know, it's the same sort of credibility, but now we're getting with adults, which is critical when you move into the world of parenthood and trying to establish. Especially when you live in New Canaan. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think Jerry B carries as much weight <laughs> as the Oxia Time timepiece. Clearly, my credibility is different. People look at you differently when they see a timepiece like that on your wrist. So we have John Canaris to thank for that. We do, and, um, and, and we've got the Ivy League flashback. So I, I just want to talk about an Ivy League flashback that was kind of an awkward moment. So we're, uh, this is 1987, we're at UNH. And, and back at this time, nobody had new facilities. The facilities were like old, they were probably built in like the, 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 the 40s or early 50s or something. And it's like pregame, you know, we haven't had our meeting yet. Uh, we've been out on the field throwing around. And um, I walk in, and I have to use, you know, take my, my, my pregame dump. And it was back when there were no doors on the stalls. And so I ended up having to take a dump right next to Dom. And it was really one of the most uncomfortable dumps I've ever had in my life. And really not, not a very particularly comfortable moment. And it just reminds me of like the, the insane old school facilities that we kind of grew up with. The kids these days, they do not know. I mean, like... <laughs> The, the, the facilities and the kids are growing up with these days are so awesome compared to what we had to grow up with. But uh, so that's my little uh, awkward flashback. Um, you got any, uh, got any thoughts? Listen, that's a, that's a, that's a great visual. It really is. Did you, I, I want to ask a couple second level questions about that story. Um, were you and Dom having a conversation back and forth? Or Unfortunately. Was, was, it, was it a mutually unspoken agreement? to not talk and communicate? Um, or were you like, hey. I, I think it, it was, it was like, small talk. Who's and were you like, who's over there? And Dom's like, it's Dom. And you were like, it, dump? Like, I'm taking a dump? <laughs> that is just so good. I, I can't believe that. As I really love that. That's a nice, that's a nice story and a nice visual. Um, I had a story once where I went to um, King of the Hill 
down at Skidmore College, I think it was. Swarth, uh, Swarth. And we went down there and we had- uh, we Equally old school facilities. Yeah, you know, really old school. We were playing lunchtime basketball and um, it was Volks and Canabine and Ricky Soul and me. And you may have been there, Mike Murphy, a couple of people who went in there and, and sure enough, in the middle of the game, I had to take a dump. So I went in and, and they were doorless, of course. And, and I was in there by myself. So I was hunkering down, committed to getting a fresh start for the second game. And sure enough, I was upon completion. And right when I was cleaning myself up, Ricky Soul came around and looked in and, and noticed my technique and said, I'm a front wiper too. And if Rick heard that, Rick would know. He'll remember that. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Ivy League. Let's get the Ivy League games rolling. Huge win for Brown. Huge loss for Princeton. What were your thoughts on that one? I'm so happy Brown won. You know, Princeton, I got to say, this game scared the hell out of me after Princeton beat Denver on Tuesday. I thought it was setting up for, you know, a really good April for Princeton and, and they played so well against Denver and held off, uh, you know, their, their Denver's rally to prevent Bill Tierney from getting his 400th win on the Princeton turf where he really created the legacy of that whole program. And it didn't set up for Brown very well. Um, and Brown, you know, falls behind in the game early and then is able to come back after, let's face it, you know, Brown, Brown's lost three games in a row. Holy Cross by one, and Holy Cross is much better than they've ever been, but Brown's never lost a Holy Cross before, right? They go up to UMass, they get beat soundly by a really good UMass team. They got Villanova at home, they lose a heartbreaker by one. It just didn't set up well for Brown coming into this game. And Princeton with renewed momentum at home against Brown, you think Princeton's going to pound them. And credit Mike Daly and their staff and their players for digging in and getting it done at a time that is just critical for their season. And now look at them. They're 2-0 and in the Ivy League. They're undefeated. They got Penn coming to Providence this weekend. And for all intents and purposes, Princeton is done. I mean, they, they now have to rely on, on luck from the other teams. And so I would love nothing more than to see Brown beat Penn this weekend up in Providence as they commemorate the 1994 Final Four team led by David Evans in Providence this weekend. Uh, what a win. I mean, what a win. Huge. Cornell Dartmouth, the other, uh, another Ivy League game. Not a whole lot to discuss. It was 15-5, to five, uh, typical, typical, yep. typical score there. And then um, really one of the games of the weekend was the triple overtime win, Penn over Yale. Um, thoughts on that one? I just, the thing that jumps out at me, number one, is that I was wrong about that game again. And I was, you know, I thought that Yale would win. Um, if they played again, I'd still bet on Yale. Um, but credit Penn, they won. They stepped up. You know, they beat Cornell at Cornell last week and, you know, could be due for a little bit of a letdown playing against a team that's kicked their ass, you know, seemingly the last five years or however long it's been. I can't remember the last time Penn beat Yale. Um, but look at, look at Ryan Gallagher, you know, he comes in and he essentially goes 50% against the best Fogo in the history of college across TD Ireland. 
And to me, that's the difference. I mean, Yale's been winning 78% of the faceoffs all year long against really, really good teams. And in order for Penn to have a chance in this game, they needed to go 45 plus, and he did better than that. And then you factor in 22 saves by Reed Junkin, and you get a you get a Penn win by goal. Uh, you know, you get a, you get a Penn win in triple overtime. I, I was, you got to hand it to Penn, man. I mean, you you really do. And uh, I didn't think they would be able to get it done, but they did. And let's see if they can go up to Providence and get it done up there. All right. So our Oxia time uh, Ivy League Player of the Week. For me, it's going to go to a pen player, and it's really hard to choose between Junkin with 22 saves, Gallagher with his 50-50 on the faceoff. Um, like you said, difference in the game, or Sam Hanley, the freshman midfielder, scores the OT game winner and gets 2-2 two and two in the game. So I'm, I'm going with Sam Hanley again. Yeah. That kid is coming through, and they didn't go to him I didn't watch – I got to watch the overtimes. I just, like, finally got to, my, got to my computer and watched it. And I was surprised that, you know, they didn't get the ball much in the first overtime. They got a little bit in the second. They didn't go to him in the third overtime. You could tell they made – they were, like, saying, hey, we got to get the ball to Sam. And he just used his 6'5 frame to slam his guy, and then he just hammered uh, a shot from probably around seven yards in the hashes, high to high, um, and just with authority and just buried it ended it and I mean this kid could be a first team all Ivy midfielder as a freshman I mean he's absolutely I agree a hundred percent uh you know what a what a he's just kind of come out of nowhere you know he he, his his level of domination he he kind of like brings back memories of of Chaz Gessner from Brown who was like an athletic athletically dominant in the Ivy in, in Ivy League lacrosse yeah. And I know that you had said that Hanley was a very good hoop player. Maybe he had the ability to play hoop, you know, in college. I don't know. But you're looking at a guy real tall, big and athletic the way Chaz Gessner is. And, and seemingly there is no moment too big for him. Yeah. And just getting it done very similar to the way Chaz Gessner is. And I think you are. I think you're looking at a, you know, a first team all Ivy midfielder. And if Penn goes and wins the Ivy championship, which could happen. I don't think it's unrealistic at all to think that he's a unanimous first team. Yeah. All Ivy. No doubt, man. Yeah. And a guy down the road that you're looking at could be, you know, an Ivy league player of the year and a first team, all American player. Yeah. If they, you know, continue to have their success. Um, that's a great choice. You know, I, I, I probably should pick Ryan Gallagher just based on what he did against T Erland, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go to Princeton, and I'm going to I'm going to pick Darian Cook, number two for Brown, the freshman. Goes two and three in their win. Uh, I got a text from Tom Collard, who was on that Brown 1994 team that went to the Final Four and won the Ivy Championship, and he was at this game, and he said, "I listen to your podcast each week. Number two for Brown, the best player on the field today. Make sure you vote him for your Oxia Time Player of the Week." And seeing that Brown came back to win the game and seeing that Tom Collard was confident enough about that to text me and that I'm going to see Tom next week and that he's a big boy, I'm going to go with Darian Cook, Brown University, two and three. Nice. uh, In that game versus Princeton. So um, if you're interested in learning more about the Oxia time 
time pieces, then please go to axiatime.com, A-X-I-A time.com and use a coupon code Bruno100 to get $100 off. Um, there's a, a, a great array of different watches and it's an awesome collection. Everybody likes different things. And so they've got, you know, all different models. So check it out. Um, and Andy, before we finish, let's go through uh, our picks. Great. Right. All right. Tonight, Hobart, Syracuse. That's at Hobart. I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to go with Hobart. And I'm going to say that they get their first top 20 win over Syracuse. Lehigh at Loyola. I already said this one. I think that Lehigh is going to dominate the X, get a uh, efficient performance out of their offense, victimize a unproven Loyola defense. I'm going with Lehigh in this game. Air Force at high point. I got a high point. Notre Dame at Duke. I think Duke bounces back and wins this game at home. Cornell at Harvard. Cornell. BU at Army. Army. Richmond at Jacksonville. This is a good game. I just think that Richmond has too much. Um, I'm going to go with Richmond. Carolina at Virginia. I said this as well. I think Carolina rides their success from last week at home with their victory over Duke. And I think they go in and shock the Cavaliers in Charlottesville. I got Carolina. Huge. Rutgers at Hopkins. I got Rutgers. Michigan at Maryland. I got Maryland. Navy at Colgate. Wow, this is the battle of two teams that are uh, not doing real well in the last few weeks. Uh, I'm going to take Navy in this one. Albany at Vermont. Wow, that's a tough one, too. Vermont's had a, a little bit of a disappointing season. I think that Albany uh, is going to hit its stride at the right time and still be a threat to win the Am East. So I'm going to take uh, Albany in this one. Dartmouth at Yale. <laughs> um, I got Yale. Penn at Brown. Wow. You know, I know that Quint loves Penn and <laughs> – I think ranked them up at six. I just don't see how Penn can be ranked that high. And I know John Canaris from the Oxia Time timepieces is a Penn alum, but with only two top 20 wins, I'm going to say that Brown continues its momentum. John, uh, Mike Daly and their staff um, find a way to get it done at home in celebration of the 1994 Final Four Brown University team. I'm taking Brown. Love it. Nova at Denver. Um, you know, in years, Nova's won this game before. This is an interesting game. Nova started strong with their win over Yale and then had a couple of bad games getting blown out. Um, but it seems like they're playing better. Denver's a tough team to play, especially out there. Um, I'm going to say I think Nova finds a way to get it done. Yeah. They could. I mean, they've, they've, they've beaten good teams. Yeah. Um, all right. Last game, Sunday night, Sunday night lacrosse in the Big Ten Network, Ohio State at Penn State. You know, common sense would say that Penn State wins this game. 
Gerard Arcieri is going to have his hands full with the Ohio State faceoff guys. I just don't think you're going to see Ohio State play two bad games in a row. I think Nick Myers and their staff find a way to bounce back and play their best game of the year, which is what it's going to take. And I'm going to go with Ohio State in the upset. Don't be, a, don't be surprised to see a little zone out of Ohio State, too. They'll throw the zone at you. You asked me earlier how to, how to defend Penn State. I'm not really a zone guy, but I know that, uh, that Nick Myers will bust out the zone. and have, He's had a lot of success you know, against Denver. They've, they've beaten them a few times over the years doing that. And this could be a team where you just don't love your matchups. They dodge so well and physically with Penn State. They've got some slashers. You know, maybe uh, maybe zone is going to be a way for them to slow this game down and, and just force Penn State into shooting outside shots. So. Well, the, and the other side of it is I think Ohio State has the Fogos to give our Sierra a real challenge. And yeah. I think that if Ohio State has the ball, I think Penn State's going to struggle to stop Ohio State. Yeah, they can score. So I think the faceoff X, those numbers are going to be a, a very, very important statistic as it relates to dictating the outcome of this game, in my opinion. Awesome. Well, Andy, always a blast. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. All right. Talk care. See you, bud. Peace. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information.